You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 96 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchot, and this is the show for August 2021. I um, have decided to do something a little different this month. So normally it's me and the panel, but this month's news contains a main story that is, in my mind, so sensitive, important, emotive, and complex that a panel discussion didn't feel like a good fit. So instead, I thought I would find a very special, special guest and that we would have a one-on-one conversation around the news this month and hopefully that way avoid joining the cacophony of poor coverage of our main story. So I am delighted to say that Tom Merritt from DTNS has agreed to be my um, other half for this uh, conversation. Tom, welcome aboard. Ah, thank you, uh, Bart. It's it's great to join you, and uh, I'm glad that I don't have to actually be a panel myself. <laughs> that they're redefining it. That's good. We could be a panel of two, I suppose. Or it's, you know, yeah, I don't have panel. to have multiple personalities or anything. You don't have to, but if they come out, so be it. Yeah, yeah, they might. Now, before we get stuck into this month's news, just some follow-ups on long-running stories we've been covering for the past while, or stuff we talked about in the last show. So. Last time we discussed that Apple were surprising everyone by actually listening to people shouting at them about the betas and specifically Safari tabs redesign. And the panel as a whole were very complimentary of the fact that Apple were making changes proactively. And I'm happy to say that has continued to the point where my reading of the community is that Apple have landed somewhere that people are happy with. Would would that line up with your reading, Tom? Yeah, I, I I almost wish they would have just stuck to their guns and, and we all <laughs> would have got used to it. Uh, uh, but but yes, uh, I think they've made people a lot happier for sure. I, I think Gruber's headline may be slightly overwrought. Um, our national nightmare is over. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, to me, it was the kind of thing of like, yeah, I don't like it. It's different, but I'd probably get used to it if I had to. And the jumping around thing always had me a bit cranky because I'm mm. I, I am one of the longest screamers about the Microsoft ribbon. I know it's old news, I know it's gone, but the, the ribbon with its jumping around never where you left it behind interface made me excruciatingly cranky. Yeah, it, it wasn't quite as smart as it thought it was. No. Or else I was too dumb. Either way, it did not work for <laughs> One me. of the two. <laughs> for me, anyway. Uh, iCloud Private Relay, darn cool. Unfortunately, it shall only be a beta when iOS 15 launches. It will come out of beta later, assuming it succeeds, I guess. Uh, One of the things we talked about last time was Windows uh, 365 and how that would be an interesting way of getting Windows on an M1 Mac or on an iPad without actually wasting RAM and CPU. Just throw some money at the problem and let the cloud handle it. When we had that conversation, we were awaiting pricing. Well, we now have said pricing. Um, I think it's fair to describe this as aimed at the corporate market, perhaps, with a starting price for one vCPU and a measly two gigs of RAM and 64 gigs of storage for $20 a month. 
Yeah, this this is for for someone looking at a budget uh, of support and maintenance and and amortization and and yeah. all, you know all that stuff, uh, and going wow twenty dollars that doesn't seem too bad. Uh, it, I've actually considered whether we might use this somehow for Daily Tech News Show uh, to to sort of like have a single machine because none of us are in the same place. You know, like a single streaming machine. Uh, not sure that it prices out for us uh, being worth it, but it's it's definitely an intriguing service, and, and obviously not the first of its kind. But you know, from the source, and 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 looks like it's pretty well received so far, at least in performance. Yeah, I mean, uh, my my impress- so I, I'm a Mac user, obviously. He says hosting. Let's talk Apple. Um, but with my work hat on, I do need to spend some time on Windows 10 and. I gave up years ago on the concept of virtualizing on my own laptop. It's just, I'll, I'll take half of my resources and throw them at Windows. No, I won't. Um, so my approach has been to just run a VM on our private cloud. And that mm-hmm. works really well, even through a VPN. But if I didn't have the luxury of working in an IT department with a private cloud, then basically what Microsoft have just done is offered the ability for the same thing only on their cloud mm-hmm. instead of your private cloud. Yeah. And it works great because Microsoft's remote desktop app is actually genuinely good, which is shocking because that was not the case early (laughs) on in the Mac. Um, They can change. They really can. Well, you know, putting the cloud guy in charge of the company has has really quite turned it around (laughs) since the worked uh, out. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Satya Nadella is no Steve Ballmer. That is for sure. One of the stories we talked about last time was that a homeless encampment had shown up on land owned by Apple just as they were in the middle of releasing press statements about how great they were at spending their billion dollars or whatever it was on housing, which was a teeny bit embarrassing. Well, they have uh, had a look under the couch cushions and found another few million and they're going to rehouse the people on their land rather than just being evil landlords and chucking them out, I guess. So that, that was good to hear that story come to an end. Um less happy about the next one matter is something i have been waiting on for bloody ages to get my smart home stuff more secure and better it's delayed until 2022 i suppose we should say yay they're not they're going to get it right but boo i want it now (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, i i uh back your yay and boo in both cases um Apple also uh, has pulled SharePlay from the initial iOS 15 release this fall. That is going to make a lot of people very cranky because that was, I think, one of the coolest things in the whole update to messages. Um, another one that I think is certainly interesting, uh, when Apple launched their Find My Network, it was, you know, the whole idea, they actually announced the third party stuff first and then announced the first party stuff just to make the point that, look, look, we're not being anti-competitive, look at us. Uh, and one of the first people to get a press release out was Chipolo, but they didn't actually get any trackers out. They just got a press release out. Well, now we have some trackers to go with that press release from months ago. If you would like to have something on the Find My Network that doesn't need a case to hang on your keyring because it has a little hole, the right size to put on your keyring, then the Chipolo 1 may be of interest to you. You're not going to save yourself a vast wad of money. They basically priced it approximately the same as Apple. I think it's $2 cheaper. And then lastly, Kelly Gamont, when she was last on, um, was giddy, I would almost go so far as to say, in anticipation of all the fun stuff that would come out as part of the discovery process in Apple's many lawsuits with, um, oh, the, uh, ah, what's that game company whose name just eludes Epic. me? Epic, Epic, thank yeah. you. 
Well, The Verge spent a lot of time reading a lot of email and they have come up with a blog post containing 107 choice quotes, things they have learned from reading all those emails. And it's pretty much exactly what Kelly was hoping for. Lots and lots of juicy little nuggets. Yeah, I didn't find any of them particularly earth shattering, to be honest, myself. But 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 there are lots of those things like, oh, really? Oh, he said that, did he? Yeah, it's sort of like the things I had sort of assumed they would be saying. It's like they were. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. But now we know. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, or as you might say, we know a little more now. Um, Yeah, there we go. (laughs) Some notable numbers that crossed my RSS feed this month. Um, Apple Pay accounted for a whopping 92%. Of the two billion with a B US mobile wallet purchases last year. I am imagining our viral friend may have had something to do with bumping up that number compared to previous years, because America has been a little bit behind on fancy pants credit cards and things. But two billion's a lot, and ninety-two percent Well where are all the Android phones? What's going on? Yeah, I, I think it's because when you pull out a phone and say, can I pay with my phone? People say, yes, we have Apple Pay. Really? It's just, yeah, that that is the culture here. Apple Pay is the huh. generic word for wireless payment, for, mo- you know, mobile wallet uh, payment. And so I, huh. I think it, it just, people with Android phones may not even realize they have the option, don't know how it works. Uh, whereas everybody knows about Apple Pay and how you might be able to use Apple Pay. Okay, culturally very different here in Europe. In yeah, Europe, yeah. it's tap to pay, and mm-hmm. the brand oh, yeah. is not seen as being in any way relevant. No one has ever said, you know, can I use Apple Pay? And no one has ever said, we support Apple Pay. It's like, touch the pay or not yep. touch the pay. Yep. Yeah. yeah, when I was in Australia, I just said, can I use my phone? They're like, oh, yeah, you can tap. <laughs> and that's it, and that really is all it is. Yep. It's great. Um, and then another one that caught my eye, largely out of jealousy, frankly, Um the credit card that sucks the least, according to JD Power, is the Apple card. So uh, I would like Apple to please start offering this in other jurisdictions, say the Republic of <laughs> Ireland. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, probably one of the reasons that it, it uh, is number one in customer satisfaction is that people don't think of it as being run by a bank. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> it, it really is that simple, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, you know, the app and stuff looks interesting and the budgeting stuff looks interesting. And it generally looks to be not evil on the, you know, scale of bank versus not bank. I mean, it is still uh, one of the major banks. What is it again? JP Morgan Chase. Yeah, who are not exactly known for being cuddly. but Is that right? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. No, well, no, now I think I've, now I think I've got it wrong. Well, they've, they've uh, all sort of come together because JP. Morgan Stanley. Morgan's, oh, there was a Morgan in there somewhere. Yeah, it was the Morgan that threw me off. Go, no, it's neither one. It's Goldman Sachs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. It's a good thing we don't do a podcast on um, financial news. Well, I'd be terrible yeah, at it right. for a start. <laughs> uh, moving on to the Department of Legal Latest. Um, Apple's attempt to have a patent case regarding their heart rate detection in the Apple Watch this missed hasn't worked out. They were trying to argue that the person bringing the lawsuit didn't have standing and the judge went, yeah, no, they do. So the case moves forward. I don't think a trial date has even been set yet, but it gets to continue. Um, meanwhile, a Texas jury, God, 
can we do something about the Southeast District of Texas? Anyway, a Texas jury has found that, uh, against Apple in order them to pay $300 million to Optus Technology over wireless patent infringements. Apple have said they will appeal. And then Apple went and confused me no end. So literally these two stories came within a day of each other. Apple reached a settlement with Corellium, dropping its lawsuit. The internet and me rejoiced. Followed the next day by Apple has appealed its lawsuit against Corellium. Not the same lawsuit, but basically arguing the same thing. So I don't know what to make of that, but Apple have both settled with and appealed against Corellium all in the same week. Yeah, my guess is uh, if if we had access to Apple's lawyers and they could tell us everything they know, it would be clear they they would be able to say like this case was not going to succeed for this reason or we needed to consolidate. Uh, I, I read a couple of things trying to explain that uh, the judges' uh, reactions were such that they they knew they weren't going to win this one, but they they could push forward on the other one because there are slight differences. But yeah, that one is pretty pretty confusing. I feel bad for Corellium. It's like you do a deal with someone, you kind of expect them to be negotiating good faith. I can't imagine they told Corellium, by the by, we're settling with you here, but we're about to appeal over there. I mean, they probably knew it. You know, usually the lawyers are pretty upfront about all that stuff. Sometimes they even have to be. Hmm. Their press release didn't give me the impression they thought they were about to be appealed. (laughs) Yeah, but the press release wouldn't, would it? That's it. That is a fair the point. The press release is written by the PR people who want to be able to act shocked and amazed. Shocked, I tell you. Shocked. Yeah. Fair <laughs> point. No, it, it, you're right. The lawyers probably knew. Yeah. Um, a DRM patent claim against Apple was deemed unenforceable, and this made me very happy. The judge basically said... You guys sat on your patent for years to make sure there was as much as possible infringement building up so you could sue for the largest amount possible. Well, sucks to be you, you don't get anything now. Because you're behaving like a troll. I may be paraphrasing the judge ever so slightly. <laughs> I should point out it was U.S. District Judge Rodney Gilstrap in Texas. So so maybe the judges are better than the juries in Texas? It, well, it depends on the district, right? Depends on the judge. That's true. Yeah, Texas is big. They don't have just the one. Southeast is where things tend to make me mm-hmm. drink. Meanwhile, down south, very south in Australia, we have a date for Apple v. Epic to go to trial. November it shall be. So mark your calendars and be all excited. Some highlights from Apple's services and original content. Apple Maps continues to slowly, slowly improve. Americans can now use a built-in rating system... Not quite uh, up there with Yelp, but heading vaguely in that direction. And uh, the Dutch get to report traffic accidents and so forth uh, to help their driving experience improve. So that is nice for both countries. Nothing for Ireland this month, but we did get Fancy Pants uh, modern maps recently enough, so I guess we should be happy. Uh, it sort of caught my eye that Apple Pay continues to sort of roll at a pace. Uh, we had South Africa getting uh, FNB bank adding support for Apple Pay. In Belgium, we had a really big step forward. 1.4 million cards became eligible with ING joining the club. Like Belgium's a country of 11 million people. So 1.4 million cards is not an insubstantial amount of people who've just had the option added to them. Uh, and then Qatar has also, QNB Bank has also joined the party. So, yeah, quite good. 
Uh, Apple have also tweaked a little bit uh, their offerings to people, news organizations. Um, If they play ball with Apple News, they get to keep more cash from in-app purchases in their apps. Um, We don't have Apple News Plus in Ireland, so I don't have any experience with the product at all. But my impression is that it's not, it hasn't quite caught fire. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. It it has its devotees, uh, but they're fairly niche. I know my wife uses it for headlines. She has the notifications on. It knows what outlets she's interested in, and you know she'll she'll get some news from that. But it doesn't feel like anything that even she turns to just to read. Yeah, and I mean in concept, I'm I'm all in favor of it, but in practice, it, it seems to be a bit of a dud so far. Mm-hmm. But then again, my initial impression of Apple Arcade was that it was a bit of a dud. But as of a few months ago, I started to pay attention to the Apple Arcade news when compiling the show notes. And basically every Friday, there are cool new games. Uh, I more have tatted it up and there's now 200 games and counting. And just this month, we had Monster Hunter Stories available, One Button Platform Player Super Leap Day... Uh, Super Stickman Gulf 3, which is frankly great fun. Tetris Beat, which is sort of a musical take on Tetris, which is great fun. Um, Asphalt 8, which is a racing game, which looked quite good, actually. And then uh, something called Baldo, which is described as a Zelda-like adventurer. Which uh, Okay, I'll have to I, check that out. A lot of people love Zelda, so I, I, I'm married to one. Um, so I, I think there's a fair bit of interest in that. And I think it was last month we talked about uh, one called Wordr or something like that. Basically, it was a, I can't believe it's not Scrabble. And I went and installed it and bloody hell, it's brilliant. Um, it's It's been a masterful distraction in these times. Um, so, I, you know, I was very skeptical of Apple Arcade initially and I have kind of turned myself around and I'm kind of impressed with it now. I'm still that's still hanging back on it. I use it every once in a while, uh, but I, I maybe it's more about me and gaming than it is about arcade, to be honest. Well, if it wasn't for the fact that the better half gets a lot of use out of it, and it was sort of humming and hawing whether I'd keep it, and then when Apple One came along, it was like, yeah, okay, fine, we'll keep Apple Arcade. You- I didn't have it until Apple One came along, and then it just got thrown in with something I needed anyway. Yeah, and I think that may be true for a lot of people. As I say, if the better half hadn't have said that, no, no, I actually genuinely get five euro a month's worth of use out of it, it would have been gone ages ago. But mm-hmm. then once Apple One came along, it was just a no-brainer. It's like, well, you know, half of us use it, so <laughs> why not keep it? Um, Apple Music, uh, artists can now share milestones with their fans. I, Apple don't seem to be capable of making compelling... How many times have they failed to make music social? But maybe this will do it. Maybe Milestones will finally do it. But anyway, I do listen Follow to me on Ping. music. Oh, yeah. God, I remember <laughs> Ping. Ah. Um, I have no idea what to make of Kanye West's interesting approach to releasing an album. But whatever he was up to, he got 60 million people to listen to it in the first 24 hours of release. So I guess he was doing something right. There were a lot of headlines about, you know, breaking records. But every time I clicked in for detail, the record was an Apple Music record. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't really mm-hmm. tell me that this helped Apple Music. It just tells me that Kanye West is winning Apple Music, but not that yeah. Kanye West is helping Apple Music win. Right. And I think that's the proper interpretation from what I can tell, too. Yeah. Now, what has me extremely excited, because... 
My favorite type of music is classical music because I tend to have it on while I'm working and words distract me if they're, you know, if they're not in English, I can sort of get away with it. Um, but words distract me, but I need to have something on in the background or, I, or I'll just be distracted by everything. Uh, so I'm always listening to classical music and Apple aren't great at getting the metadata right. They aren't great at letting you search for it. They just aren't great at classical music. They sort of try to wedge it into being like pop music and it isn't. It's different. Well, they have now bought Primephonic and they plan to incorporate their music and their searching and their metadata into Apple Music to basically give Apple Music the classical music upgrade it has so badly needed for so long. Now, this is all based on press release and promises rather than delivered software. But nonetheless, it's a it's a promising promise, if you'll excuse the repetition. Um, so I'm excited. I don't know if it excites you at all, Tom. I, I found this interesting. Um because it it first struck me as Apple acquiring a classical music library, right? Mm. Just saying like, oh, we have classical music on Apple, but we'll have so much more if we acquire Primephonic. And I could have been perfectly satisfied to understand the acquisition at that. But it sounds like they're going to bring back the Primephonic app. Uh, they're they're shutting it down temporarily, giving everybody credits for Apple Music who was a Prime Phonic subscriber. But they said they would be bringing it back. They would be relaunching it. So I'm I'm curious if it doesn't come back as Prime Phonic, but instead comes back as Apple Music Classical, you know, or or, yeah. or some some you know genre specific app, which would then become very interesting. Of like, well, if that works, you know, what other genres of music might they do that with? I'm very curious what they plan to do with that. I will certainly be watching very closely um, and listening very closely because, mm-hmm. of course, being an Apple One subscriber, I now get all my music from Apple One. I used to be so meticulous about organizing my my own media and keeping it all well metadata and stuff, and now I just I just shout at the air and say, you know, hey, yes, lady, play me some bloody blah, and it just works. Yeah, it's kind of magic yeah, actually, I, just having almost all of music at your command. Well, I have it uh, hooked up to my Amazon Echo, uh, yeah. and, and, of course, and it's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah that, that was news a few um, months ago that that, that, that Apple and Amazon had buried the hatchet. Um, yeah, no, it, it is kind of magical. Now, it, it has a strange effect on my music listening. I tend to listen to the music of people who've recently died. Mm. Because you a new story comes out on the BBC World. Like, I listen to the BBC World Service every day to get my news because mm-hmm. it's a half an hour bite-sized piece and getting all of my depression out of the way at once. And they always do <laughs> yeah. a feature. Uh, they also they always do whatever someone famous dies. They always get like a two or three minute little feature. And if it's a musician, they'll always feature a bit of the music. And they'll always go, "Oh yeah, you know." So Led Zeppelin got to go. It's recently. like an ad essentially, except not an ad, but it raises that same kind of awareness. Yeah. Yeah. So it was Led Zeppelin last week. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's kind of interesting. Just how it, it's so much that I end up sort of whatever you last put into my mind is subliminally there. And then I just shouted at Siri and listened to it. With with machine learning now, they'll start to suggest people as soon as they they see the obit hit the wire. <laughs> oh, Bartle won't this soon. They're dead. <laughs> yeah. You'll start to, when, when Siri says, would you like to listen to Paul McCartney? You'll be like, oh my gosh, is he, is he still with us? <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, meanwhile, over on Apple TV Plus, um, it's almost become a joke now that every month in the show notes I have a great big thing about all the award nominations because I sort of assumed awards came in a season and that I'd mention them for one or two shows and that'd be that. But the season appears to be all year because mm. we've just had Apple TV Plus nabs eight, uh, 
Imagine Award nominations across five different shows. The Mosquito Coast, Mariah Carey's Magical Christmas Special, Ted Lasso, Little Voice and Ghostwriter. Apple TV Plus for All Mankind and Calls took home awards at the Emmys. And then Ted Lasso, quote, wins big um, in the HCA TV Awards, which is the Hollywood Critics Association, I discovered. Um, and probably no surprise, really, Ted Lasso is the most watched show on all streaming platforms, according mm. to a site called Real Good, which is a wonderful pun. And I, I, I sort of think Apple TV Plus is Ted Lasso TV and some other stuff. But maybe that's not fair. But Yeah, I, I think that's how most people view it right now. I'm surprised that it's the most watched show on all streaming platforms, simply because I've run into way more people who say, yes, I'd love to watch that. I don't have Apple TV Plus than I have huh. people run into other shows. Uh, but, but I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that is why it's the most streamed is that people are aware of it versus on Netflix. Everybody's watching something different. They're not all watching the same thing. Yeah, yeah, there is no... Yeah, if your catalogue is small enough that everyone's watching the same thing, I guess that one thing will do very, very It'll well. It'll drive it up, yeah. Hmm. It is, it, I mean, I was... Actually, I was convinced to watch it. No, it was Adam Christensen actually finally convinced me to watch it. I was going to say it was someone in work, but no, it wasn't. I haven't been in work in two years. <laughs> um, that was The Crown, someone in work managed to convince me. Because on paper, I should hate The Crown, but it's bloody fantastic. And on paper, I should hate Ted Lasso. But you know something? It's bloody fantastic. Well, that's Ted Lasso on paper isn't a show. It's, no, it's, it's a promo, right? Uh, yeah. It's, that, that's what it was developed for, to, to promote watching soccer on NBC. Uh, and... What's funny is I went back and I watched some of the commercials for the for the Ted Lasso promos and like a bunch of the jokes from season one are in those promos. They they recycled them, but they recycled them so brilliantly that they fit and you didn't think they were recycling them. Yeah, I mean, it's one silly joke, but actually what it is is a series with so much heart and so many amazing characters. Right. Because the show isn't about the joke. No. The joke is just in the show. Yeah, it's a MacGuffin to get you in, but it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. And what I loved about the first season was I, the first episode tricked me into thinking they were paper thin uh, caricatures. Every right? all the characters fit a type, right? All of them fit a type, and I foolishly assumed that they were just these paper thin caricatures. Each and every single one of them developed throughout that show into a deep and meaningful character you empathize with. And and continuing in season two. They yeah. continue to subvert your expectation. As soon as you think, oh, I know what's going on here. Nope. <laughs> it's not. It's something else. Yeah. It's, it is wonderful. I, I'm genuinely impressed. Um, meanwhile, one of the big movies Apple picked up was a Sundance Award winning movie, Coda. Uh, we now get to watch that. I, I haven't had the chance yet, but it is on my list. Uh, that is now available on Apple TV+. And in select theaters, which I presume is some sort of technicality for Oscars-y stuff. Yeah, usually it is. Uh, and I think Apple's trying to make nice uh, with theatrical folks, too, so that they don't get shut out. But uh, a lot of times it's to make sure you qualify for the Oscars. You have to play in a certain number of theaters for a certain number of weeks. Yeah. And then I think worth mentioning, because we don't I've, I've given up on mentioning every new show that comes out on Apple TV or this entire show would just be. Finally. So they have a they have a library. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> but what I do think is worth mentioning is that the 9-11 documentary in conjunction with the BBC has been released and that you have literally exclusive interviews with George Bush. Like him or loathe him, he was kind of important on 9-11. He, he was sort of there. It, yeah. You know. 
Oh, it's it's really crazy for me to think that that's that's old history for for people now. That is well, that scares me in two ways. So the first years coming into university this year where I work, they weren't born on nine eleven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and nine eleven was the day before my graduation from university. I graduated wow. on nine twelve. <laughs> you guys would call it. So I've been a graduate for twenty years. And the people who come to my university to learn stuff weren't alive either when I graduated or when I <laughs> Yeah, I, I, uh, I remember the where were you when JFK was shot, but that was before I was born. And now it's where were you, you know, when you heard about 9-11 is kind of the, a more modern version of that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, let us, we have uh, three main stories to entertain us this month. Um, the first one is... Let's face it, the biggest one, I've been teasing it all along, we have our three new child protection features from Apple. That is that is going to take some digesting. Uh, then our second story is the pressure on the App Store just just continues. This is, this is a meta story in the sense that it's not one single thing happened, but actually three significant things did happen all this month. And then the last story is one that has almost made this show the last three months, but it's never quite been enough but apple appeared to have something appears to have changed with apple's relationship with its own employees and it started to bubble up when there was talk of coming back to the office after covid and it hasn't stopped bubbling and it got really quite bubbly this month so that will be our third main story so i am really happy that i do a monthly show because this child protection story didn't break as a thing, Apple made an announcement. They themselves admit they messed it up. Uh, Craig Federici explicitly said so to Joanna Stern uh, in their wonderful video interview with the Wall Street Journal. And he's, I, I think he's dead right. He's very aware. So it actually took a few weeks for the details to come out. But of course, a lot of people went for a quick take, which wasn't a good idea. So thankfully now, as we are at the end of the month and we've had time to think about it, I there are a lot more facts for us to get stuck into, a lot less assumptions, and I feel I have a better grasp on it. I'm hoping you feel similar. I yeah, I, there there were a few facts that were not clear at the beginning, and there's still one piece that I'm, I'm seeing different things about uh, and how it works. Uh, but I fairly quickly understood what was going on. There was a lot of misinformation out there uh, flying around, but I got what was going on. It's taken me a while to decide what I think of it. I'm uh, still not sure I, I figured that bit out. I've gone, you know, from one side to the other and back again on on what I think of. And when I say it, uh, multiply that times three. Well, by two. The, yeah. One is very non-controversial, but the, but the, you know, there's the, the text messaging uh, part of it with which pr- protects your kids. And then there's the CSAM uploads uh, part of it. And I, I think I understand what Apple is doing. Uh, I don't necessarily disagree with what they're doing or even necessarily how they're doing it. Uh, but I 100% think they went about it wrong. And I have some ideas how they could have done it better and also things they might still be able to do to to help everybody feel a little better about what they're doing yeah so before we get stuck too deep and let's sort of give a, a, a an executive summary of um 
of what Apple announced. So they made the three announcements as one, which I think is one of the first places they went wrong because the three got mushed into everyone's brain as one thing. And unfortunately, that that, that caused a really big misunderstanding. So the, starting easy, Siri is going to develop the skills to understand when you're asking it about CSAM and give you sane and sensible answers. If you are looking for how to report it, they will help you report it. If you're looking for it, they Siri will try to steer you away and send you towards resources for help. And I, I have yet to hear someone complaining that that is a bad thing. I, I'm sure someone did, but it didn't, didn't cross my radar. I mean, yeah, there might be a few like, well, what if I'm saying this and it misunderstands me? And it, but the implications are like, well, then you've wasted a few seconds. Like, there's yeah. really not a whole lot of downside. Yeah, because there is no the, the Siri is not snitching on you to anyone. It is no. not. There is no record of what you asked it going to anyone. There is nothing like that. It is just going to give you answers that hopefully will help. And they're being created with assistance of organizations that work in child protection. Um, the second one then is on the scale of controversial, definitely more controversial than Siri, but I would say much less than the last one. So there is a new parental control and I have described it as a parental control from day one, but Apple didn't choose to phrase it that way. And goodness me, they could have saved themselves so much storm and drang if they had used the words parental control. Because this is a feature which only applies to a child's Apple ID, is off by default and must be enabled by a parent. That is a parental control. It is the same as the controls over Safari. It is the same as the controls over the App Store. Apple have a lot of parental controls. This is just a new one. And what it does is it uses machine learning to detect if an image is probably explicit. So there is no judgment on the legality of the image. The question is the appropriateness of the image to a kid. And that's a that's a gigantic distinction, right? An image can be inappropriate for a five-year-old and 100% legal. And that, I think, got lost. This is also- I, I, I think the, the way I tend to want to think about this is no one's going to object to the idea of a parent wanting to have a protection in place for sexual explicit images for their children and wanting to know if that happened. So the only thing wrong with this for most people will be, yes, but it's for an account that has been identified as a child. So where the misuse would come in is someone has a family plan and they've identified their spouse's account as a child so that they can spy on them and know when a sexually explicit image has been sent. But even then, they can't because Apple was extremely clever about this, and you have it won't snitch on you without you basically being told in advance and given the option not to. So it's not a case unless you're younger, unless you're identified as younger than thirteen. No, no, then but even then, you still get a warning before anything is sent, right? So even if you uh, are, a, no, I think the notification goes anyway, no matter. Only I, actually, if you no, through. you're right. I guess I think you're right. You can say no, I I don't want to see the yes. image, and then nothing happens. Yeah, okay, I got you. Yeah, so my point being, if you were, I mean, I think the the closest to a valid criticism I heard was people saying, well, what if you're an LGBT child and you're trying to keep that secret from your parent? And I was going, well, I recognize that because I was one of those. So this is this is not, you know, this is not news to me. And if my phone said to me, if you click on this, I will tell your parents, I would have not clicked on this. And so to me, the fact that the way it works is the AI thinks an image might be inappropriate and it tells the child that there is a possibility that this image is not safe for them. 
And it, it's all couched very much in this, this mightn't be and this could be harmful and the language they use is very child friendly. And then they say, do you want to see it anyway? And then if the child is under 13 and if the parents have optionally enabled the notification, then the child gets told, if you go ahead, we will tell your parents. Are you sure? And only then if the child says yes a second time, do they see the image and do the parents get notified that an image has been shown? But the parents don't see the image. They just get told that. An are image are has we been sure shown. about that? Because I've seen it described both ways. I've seen it described as the image is then saved for parental review. Well, as I understand that it's saved on the phone. So I guess the parent can then say, show me your phone. Right. Okay. Gotcha. But it, which is a kind of an odd fence sitting. Yeah. But I guess the, the key, you know, oh, and the other very, 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 very important point is that the, the notification is end-to-end encrypted. So Apple don't know that any of this has happened. And the only person to know is the child and the parent, which is really important. There is no knick-mech involved here. There is nothing like that. This is not about illegal images. This is just AI guessing whether or not it's an explicit image. And effectively, this is an anti-grooming protection is what this is. Right. I, I, yeah, and I, I don't think the intent that Apple is expressing is is controversial here, really. Yeah. And actually, speaking of things we learned from email dumps, probably the most consequential thing in that list of 107 from The Verge was an email from Apple's chief, uh, was he anti-fraud officer? What was his title? Uh, da, 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 da. It's in the show notes somewhere. Uh, and yeah, fraud chief. Well, it says fraud chief. I'm sure his title is anti fraud chief <laughs> <laughs> not in charge of it uh, of, of uh, committing fraud Apple's chief fraud assume. officer yes but uh, there are communications from him to other Apple executives basically saying that we have a problem with grooming and with sexually explicit material or sorry with CSAM material being distributed on our platform and that would appear to have been the motivation behind Apple choosing to act and there is a push from multiple governments to crack down on this uh, totally unrelated story uh, with OnlyFans and its credit card processing mm. and credit card companies pushing down. Like this is part of a very wide uh, push. Uh, this is just one effect of that push. And I think that's why I thought this was the worst of the two at first. Mm. Because I'm like, this is coming from a government push and while it's not opening end-to-end encryption up to Apple, it is opening up end-to-end encryption to a very small amount of leakage. In other words, that notification that says a thing was there. True, like, high-principled, complete end-to-end encryption doesn't let anyone else know anything about a communication except the person on the end. Uh, and so I was, I was at first taking the line of, like, don't really like that. Because even though it's all for a good cause and it's all parental notification here, now you've created a system that someone else can come and say, hey, remember when we pushed for that child thing? We want you to do another thing. Uh, I think that's a better argument to explore in light of the other measure that they're putting in place. But it it took me a while to to get comfortably. It was it was a I admit a, a P and I was the princess. Uh, <laughs> but love uh, description. But, 
you know, I was, I was, I was not quite sure that I liked the fact that that little bit of, of information was leaking out. Uh, in the end, yes, it is not truly end to end encryption, but if you're rounding up, it's close enough to, to, you know, to a hundred percent that I don't think this one bothers me, uh, because there are enough caveats and enough reasons and all of that. And I don't think the slope is as slippery as I feared at first. Well, I mean, the slippery slope is definitely something that worried me a little because as soon as I realized that this was, this was not a, a change to the iMessages protocol, because actually this applies to right. all images received by the messages app, no matter how they got there, because it's actually a feature of the messages app. So it is happening at an end, not as part of the protocol. So that's yeah, all happening on device. Off. Yeah. Uh, but where the, where there is a slippery slope that I had to think about is what well, people are saying, but what if a government forces Apple to start looking for their things? And mm-hmm. then I thought about it and I've been thinking about it a lot and I've just gone, but Apple have parental controls to s- sniff out what you search online and block things based on criteria. And that is seen as proper parental controls and that is not seen as a slippery slope. How is this different? Surely the Chinese government want web filtering too. If Apple do web filtering as part of parental controls and we have not lost our ever-loving minds over that for the last decade, why is this different? And what technology have Apple invented here that they couldn't have been legally mandated to do a week before they announced this? What's new here? Yeah, I I think it, it really depends on, on your tolerance level. If you are a zero tolerance end-to-end encryption all the way 100%, you're not comfortable with this. And I, and I respect that. Uh, to me, perhaps it is a step in the direction of weakening encryption, but it is, is not even a full step. It's, it's a, merely a shuffling of a toe. Uh, so I'm, I'm that, and that, that doesn't feel like, you know, the beginning of sliding down the slope to me. Well, cryptographically speaking, if we're going to look at it on a purely cryptographic level, it is actually, it doesn't break end-to-end at all because the communication to the phone can be end-to-end encrypted and the separate communication to the parent is also end-to-end encrypted. So there actually is no man in the middle at any point. Well, with the, you, you, you have information going to a party that wasn't part, part of but the But it's from an end, not in transit. So we haven't broken, basically we haven't cryptographically <sighs> But it's not under it. the control of the end. Yeah, right? but the as child you know, doesn't get to choose whether it gets sent or not. It could just get sent at that point. Well, and they get to choose whether the image comes in or not. But that's a different choice in the in the It's totally different, yeah. They have yeah. agency, but it's not uh, Yeah, there's an indirection there. there. There's a yeah. Yeah. That's why I mean like it, the more I thought about it, the more I'm like that is just, that is the smallest little it is technically leaking out some amount of information, but it's very little information. Even that information is also encrypted, like you said. Uh, and so I'm like, yeah, I almost feel like that's indistinguishable from zero. And as I said, to, to me, the thing was that the cryptographic primitives weren't messed with. Because that, right, that would have right. worried that, me. That's super important. That would be a whole, that'd be a whole other thing. Yeah. So with all of that easy stuff out of the way, we then get to <laughs> the big, the big one, right? The, I mean, this is the big one. This is the one where there is legitimate concern on all sides. So the problem to be solved is that iCloud probably contains millions of child abuse images. There is, we don't know that for sure because no one has gone and checked perfectly, but based on 
what has come out in terms of, you know, when people get arrested and stuff and their computers get seized and stuff, the police know where people are sharing their CSAM. And unfortunately, one of those places is iCloud. And Apple feel responsible. I want to jump in real quick here because I I think there's a couple of things to consider that that I I took into account when I thought about this. One is this isn't about preventing uploads. It's about catching uploads. It's about catching people. Uh, and, And so that'll be important when we talk about it. Remember, this is people who can't help themselves. And they will do, you would say like, well, just never upload these offending images to iPhoto. But uh, you know what? That's it's really not about that. It's about catching the person who's doing it anyway. Also, almost every other photo sharing service already does this in the cloud. Apple was under a lot of pressure to do it in the cloud and decided to do this instead. Yeah, and I think the the metrics that caught my eye the most were the NICMEC statistics. Were they so NICMEC is the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children? They, yep. It's pronounced NICMEC, but there is nothing between the N and the C. There, there are no other letters in the acronym. It's N-C-M-E-C, but it's pronounced NICMEC. And that is an American organization. This is entirely, in fact, all of this stuff is entirely American. Um, it may well get rolled out to other countries in the future. One assumes it will, but for now, it is launching in America. And so, like you say, it is normal for cloud providers to scan for this stuff based on hashes of images. And there are statistics released by NICMEC of how many reports they get from each of the major vendors. And you see Dropbox and Facebook and OneDrive, or sorry, Microsoft with their Office suite of products and stuff. And they report millions per year. You know, I mean, the, the exact number of millions varies whether you're Facebook or Microsoft, but it's millions. Apple reported a few hundred. I believe it was 250-something. That is so many orders of magnitude out that no one believes that Apple users are all so saintly that there's none of it happening in Apple's cloud. No no one believes that. So then the question becomes, does Apple do what everyone else does and scan in the cloud, making end-to-end encryption an impossibility in the future? Or do Apple try to find a way to have their cloud cake and eat it and do it in such a way that they could still do end-to-end encryption if they wanted without getting accused of enabling child abuse. That is the circle they wanted the square, or the square they wanted yeah. the circle. And to be clear, they don't offer end-to-end encryption for everything in iCloud. No. So they could have decided to just say, you know what? Not everything in iCloud is end-to-end encrypted. Photos are not going to be because of this. And that's the standard, the industry standard. Google does it. Microsoft does it. Amazon does it. We're going to do it too. Which would have been ironically uncontroversial, but depending on how you decide that you yourself define end-to-end encryption, either it would have been a disaster if they had done that, or it would have been the best thing possible if they'd done that. And the same Yeah, I've seen people advocate that they would have preferred if they had done that, which I I find interesting. Yeah, because I'm not in that camp. I actually want to have as much as possible. So... What Apple have done is they have divided the task into a game of two halves and used an awful lot of cryptography, which, if you understand the cryptography, is spectacularly clever. But the problem is explaining the cryptography to people who are very emotionally upset is supremely difficult. So the fundamental concept hangs around these 
hashes of images. So unlike with the messages, we're using artificial intelligence to figure out if something is probably an explicit image. In this case, there is a database of known abuse images held by organizations like NCMEC. There are similar organizations in other countries. And they take the photos which they are legally allowed to hold, but literally no one else in the United States is allowed to hold those child abuse images, that it is a crime to possess them. So NCMEC has the database and they take this database and distill it into hashes and they distribute those hashes to Microsoft and Facebook and so on and so forth. And now Apple as well, when this comes out on iOS 15. And the idea is that if the photo matches the hash, then the photo is that specific child abuse image. So this isn't a scanner for generic images of children. This is a scanner for specific known abuse images. So this is not a picture of Johnny in the bath. This is an actual abuse image. And that's such a fundamental difference in messages. But that was lost on a lot of people, that difference between matching known bad images and using artificial intelligence to find images with too much flesh. That's very different. So Apple want to match against those known hashes. So to do that, they need to scan the photograph when it's still in the clear. So if they were to do it in the cloud, you could never end-to-end encrypt because you'd have to scan it in the cloud. So as part of the upload process to iCloud, which is a distinction Apple are hanging an awful lot of weight on and a distinction other people insist does not exist... So Apple would say this is part of the upload pipeline, I believe is the phrase Craig Federici used, into iCloud. Therefore, it's part of the cloud and not part of not scanning your personal stuff because you've already agreed it's going to the cloud before this happens. And other people are saying, but it's on my phone and I can't stop it. Anyway, the, the image is scanned on your phone against the hashes and then an encrypted Safety voucher is the term Apple made up, uh, is added to the image, which has the result of the hash. But it's encrypted in such a way that two very important things are true. So the first thing is you as the owner of the phone don't know the photograph matched. And that initially people didn't understand why that was important. But if that were not the case, people could use iPhones to test whether or not abuse images were in the NCMEC database thereby enabling predators to know which images were safe to upload or not, which would be horrific if you were to be able to abuse an iPhone to figure out which abuse images are safe. That, that would be horrendous. So that's protected against, which is very important. But also, Apple don't know there was a match. At which point you're probably going, but hang on a second, the whole point is Apple are supposed to know there was a match. That's sort of the problem we're trying to solve. Well, That's added to something called threshold encryption, which means that it is cryptographically impossible to know there have been any matches until there have been at least N matches. And initially, we didn't know what N was. But we now know that N is about 30, which is the exact words that came out of Craig Federighi's mouth, and that is the closest we've come to an answer. So the computer scientist in me says 2 to the power of 5, 32. But anyway, about 30. So when an Apple ID, when an Apple ID uploads about 30 matching images, then all the vouchers become decryptable, and Apple go from knowing nothing to knowing there are 30. And at that point, Nick Mac is informed and the user can appeal. Ah, no. At that, at that ah, point, sorry, you're right. you're a right. human steps in and double checks 
to make sure those 30 look like they belong in the NCMEC database. It just just as another check to see if there was a false positive. Yes, and even at this point, Apple don't look at the photo. They look at, they had a very fancy term for it, a, a digital derivative or something, but basically a small thumbnail uh, because they can't own, they, they don't want and they don't want to expose their staff to a full-on abuse image. So basically it is a, I wish I could remember the euphemism Apple had, but it's basically a low-resolution thumbnail, which is enough to say, oh, no, that's the Eiffel Tower versus OK. Mm-hmm. And then it goes to Nick Mac. And that, that final check is also important. And Apple have also done a lot of things, very cool crypto, to make sure that it is impossible to tell whether or not there have been any matches until you meet the threshold, including putting in fake correct matches that aren't real and when you do finally get to decrypt them it says haha only joking um so that really it becomes impossible to use this to to track people and the end result of all of this is that the chances of a false positive go down to one in a trillion which is pretty good odds yeah it's not bad right yeah. I mean, we'd all like it. that 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 is close enough to zero to call it zero for practical purposes. So Apple have thrown a vast wudge of cryptography at this and they're, they've released a lot of white papers. They had three different cryptographers review the process. They've, they also then later released some white papers analyzing the various dangers they were trying to mitigate. The threat, what do they call it? The threat landscape or something. They, they, you know, they've released a lot of detail, a lot of it too late, but they released a lot of detail and fundamentally, people sort of fall into two camps of, well, on the one hand, this means that we can have end-to-end encryption without endangering kids. And on the other hand, people's iPhones will be scanning people's photos against their wishes. And that feels like a betrayal. Although, I mean, the answer is, then don't use iPhoto. Uh, but I think that that is beside the point, which is, yes, but... I, I perhaps I would like to use iPhoto, uh, and that's you know it's not a competitive advantage to Apple's uh, espousal of privacy if I'm not going to use iPhoto because I don't like that it scans the hashes of my images on my phone. Yeah, and Apple make a very strong point of saying until you until this is enqueued for going into the cloud, it is not scanned. So this is not proactively scanning your phone and it's not reaching into all of your different files apps and stuff so it is only checking the pipeline to the cloud and another important point actually because the obvious question here is okay so if the hashes come from nickmic and we're only matching hashes that seems okay but what if there are other hashes thrown into the mix and so that we now know which we didn't know on day one and again we should have that Apple are going to release a hash of the hashes as a knowledge base article so that you can tell if the hash database has been interfered with. So if they effectively, it's a hash canary, because if Apple are forced with a security letter to change the database, then the hash will Mm. break. Yeah. And that's mathematically true. Yes, exactly. So So initially... When I heard this threshold of 30, my fear was this is a policy. This is human beings doing something. And that's not very strong. 
But actually, the threshold is cryptographically enforced. So it's not that Apple are choosing to ignore it until there's 30 of them. It is mathematically impossible for them to know until there are 30 of them, which is a very different scenario. Relying on humans now, versus they, relying on They could on change math. the code to, to be 10 or 5, but that's, yes. that's changing the system, right? Yes, and even if N changes, nonetheless, whatever, whatever is going on is being cryptographically rather than policy enforced. Right. It's not somebody going like, well, I know it's supposed to be 30, but yeah. Yeah. And as we, as we all know from so many things, the squishy organic bit is definitely one of the most failure-prone areas of any IT system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the reason my initial gut reaction would have been to take the old pitchfork out, give it a good sharpen and go shake it. But I very wisely in hindsight kept my typing fingers to myself until I'd had a few hours to have a read of the white papers. And then I decided I wasn't going to type those tweets. And I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> I I think the argument against this uh, that that seems legitimate to me is they have built an apparatus. Granted, this apparatus works very well, has lots of built-in protections, is not policy-based, is math-based. Uh, they're going to issue a hash so you can tell if that if somebody tried to like pull the old switcheroo and put a different database. Uh, all of that is true. Uh, on the other hand, they have now built an apparatus that a country can come to and say, hey, Apple, you know what you did for child abuse images? We'd love you to do that for this. We know you can do it. Just put this database on the phones in our country uh, so we can look for terrorists. And of course, no one likes terrorists, but some countries' definition of a terrorist differs from other countries. Uh, so that, to me, is the one argument that I'm like, that that holds some water. Definitely uh, holds you water. Are, you're now trusting apple to not do that uh which granted you were always trusting them not to do that but now you're now it's a little closer of like they've proven they could do it and you're just trusting them to continue to say no and i have a lot of sympathy for that but when i think about it more deeply it occurs to me that there is new technology here but all of that new technology is about stopping apple from knowing things The ability to match hashes is not new. Microsoft has been doing it for a decade on their cloud. So a week before Apple announced this, there was nothing stopping Congress passing a law mandating that all phones scan for hashes and report. So what's actually changed? I mean, they've built an apparatus on the phone that you won't know is is there and working. I, I think the argument to me is that wouldn't it just be easier to scan in the cloud uh, yeah, for, would. for anything you would want to, to do? And and so, yeah, if there's any real criticism here, it's that, gosh, they, they maybe over-engineered this. They, they could have done it so much easier, uh, but they had reasons not to do it easier. Uh, and, and none of the things they put in here are self-serving. They, they are all, like you say, they're keeping Apple from knowing something, and they're slowing down the ability to catch stuff because the threshold is 30. Uh, so if you only upload 29, you never get caught. Um, you know, and we, we think it's around 30. So maybe it, maybe it is 28. I don't know. Uh, but 
but they're they're definitely saying we just want to try to catch people who can't help themselves who do this. We are not trying to prevent every single instance uh, of it ever occurring uh, because the people smart enough to avoid it will just go somewhere else. Honestly, that's one of the biggest effects of this is it will drive people to say, well, I can't use Apple anymore because they're scanning. But if that were true, why are Facebook still catching millions a year? Obviously, people are well, idiots or can't because help there themselves. Are, yes, and that's, that's what I'm saying is there are people who can't help themselves and you'll be able to catch them because they won't stop at 25. Uh, or other, if, they, if they were able to stop at 25, they just wouldn't be using it at all is my guess. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it is kind of amazing that after the first year of Facebook capturing, capturing a few million people, it didn't just stop. But no, it didn't just stop. Therefore, there is value yeah. in this kind of scanning. And if... You know, the argument of like, well, now they've built an apparatus that could be used for something else also is true for, well, okay. I was about to say that's also true for scanning in the cloud, but scanning in the cloud happens for photos specifically. I see the argument that this apparatus could apply to other things. It, 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 you could put a hash in there for phrases. You could, you know, and have it target pointed at messages or something like that. Well, you couldn't email. do in the current type of hashing algorithm because it will only work on images because it's designed to, to to be crop invariant and rotation invariant. So it wouldn't actually work on text, these kind of hashes. Well, but couldn't, couldn't you just create a database of hashes and plug it in and say, look for these hashes and look there? But the, the hashing algorithm can only take an image as its input. So this hash, you would have to have a separate hashing algorithm for text, which is actually easier to write, but it would be a new apparatus. You'd have to have a new machine. Yeah, you we would have to. Well, okay. The, the but input my, hole argu- is my argument image. is Apple's created a system here, and they could they could do a software update and implement a different system. But uh, scanning for hashes and phoning home, they could have been forced to do that by law a, a month ago, a year ago, a well, decade that, ago. That again, that's where the argument starts to break down. Is like, well, if they're just going to do that, there's so many simpler ways of doing it. But I, I, I think I think what the point is for people making that argument is. Some country could go like, hey, you're already doing that, so why not do this? Uh, which is an easier argument than I want you to invent something from scratch, right? Now, only mildly because this system has been engineered in such a way that the database is in every iPhone, the same database everywhere in the world, cryptographically signed as part of the OS with the published hash of the database. So they would actually have sure. to re-engineer the system to comply and if they have to be re-engineering anyway, then they really could be told to engineer anything. Well, but if if the country's like, yeah, that that's fine, <laughs> just just do it. You know? But then you get to the question: Would Apple pull out or comply? Well, and that's where it does come back to: You're trusting Apple. You're you're trusting Apple to decide, make that decision. Uh, and I would assume that they would pull out, right? Uh, I, but I, some people are like, well, I don't, I don't know, I don't want to rely on that. I would also make the argument that if you're living in a democratic country, who you're actually trusting is your government, who you're supposedly voting for. Like in a democracy, the people we are trusting are not Apple. The people we are trusting are the government. Well, yes, but there are governments and there are democracies and there are democracies. Agreed, agreed. But, you know... (laughs) I would have a right. What I'm saying is my opinion would differ depending on whether I was a citizen of Saudi Arabia or whether I was a citizen of the United States. Yeah, or, or I'm even thinking of Hungary and Turkey and yeah. places like that. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, they are they are on the slippery slope list. And uh, they're what is it? Managed democracy, I believe, is the latest euphemism I've come. Is that across. the is that the phrase? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like yeah, democracy. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, I, I think where all of this comes down to is when you have to think this hard about whether it's bad or not, and yet you also know that it's probably better than the alternative that everybody else is using. I think I prefer this. Yeah, and my opinion, I am leaning towards prefer, towards being in favor of this, but my lean could get dramatically stronger if my hunch comes true. My hunch is that the reason they have put so much engineering into doing it this way is because they want end-to-end encryption on photos. Yeah. So if that comes to pass, then my opinion will be cemented in favor of, uh, thank you, Apple. If and they I go to understand all this how trouble... Any, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. If they go to all of this trouble and they invent this Rube Goldberg machine (laughs) and they don't give us end-to-end encryption, then I'm just left going, why did you make my phone waste so many electrons and my brain so many synapses trying to understand this for no gain? Why make this so complicated needlessly? When when you can already, if it's not end-to-end encrypted photos... You can already look at my photos. Yeah, they're <laughs> so, in the cloud. Scan them there like yeah. Microsoft, Google, Facebook. Right. Everyone uh, else is so, doing yeah, I, it. It doesn't make any sense to me f- for this to work any other way. Like there's no reason for them to go all this trouble uh, otherwise. Because, yeah, I, it, it, I'm like you. If, if they don't provide end-to-end encryption for photos, then I will be very puzzled as to why they went to all this trouble. Yeah, yeah. So we shall see how it pans out. Um. I, that is kind of all I think we need to say on the matter. Is there anything, Tom, you think that I have forgotten to ask or to raise? Not really. Uh, the, the only other point I'd throw out there for people is is I, I've seen some conversations and had some conversations where some folks are like, I'd just rather they didn't do anything. Don't do this or scan in the cloud. And I don't think that's a viable option. Uh, I, I think the, the pressure is on for the company to do something. Uh, and this is what they've chosen to do. And I, and and I'm not saying that the people arguing that were were like just let you know uh, criminals uh, run free. It was, you know, they they were saying this isn't where you catch them. You sh- you, sh- you should catch them in other ways. But uh, I I don't think that that is an option for Apple. I don't I don't think any government is giving them that option. To be honest, I'm going to make a very strange segue on that point because actually. That approach is unfortunately what Apple seem to be doing in their app store. They're basically waiting to be pushed. And if you're pushed, you don't get to have much say in where you end up. You just get pushed. And in this case, Apple took the bit by the, you know, the bull by the horns or the bit in the mouth or whatever the catchphrase is, I'm messing up. And bit by the teeth, I think, is what my brain was desperately trying to get to. <laughs> um but anyway, the point is Apple took the agency here and did something proactive to avoid being made do something they didn't want to do. But our second main story is about the continuing pressure on the App Store. And on the App Store, Apple seemed to be doggedly not solving the problem themselves and making darn sure that America, Europe or someone else forces them to change something. And I don't know about you, but I think that Apple would do a much better job of initiating this change than either the European Union bureaucrats or the American politicians. 
Um, yeah. Uh, or uh, the the folks uh, in the Blue House in Korea. Uh, any yeah. of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So basically, as I was saying earlier, this is a, a, a trifecta of little stories, which together, to me, just exemplify a long running trend. The pressure on the App Store is mounting. It continues to mount. So the first factual thing that happened is that in the United States Senate, a new bill was uh, introduced to the Senate floor. Um, it, the bipartisan bill, technically, it has three sponsors, two Democrat, one Republican. And basically, it would open up, it would force Apple to open up the App Store to allow sideloading. And there's some weaselly words in there about uh, not not affecting security, at which point you're going... I don't think, I think you put that in because someone told you security was important, Mr. Senator, but I don't think you understand that that's not how it works. But leaving that aside, it, I mean, it, it is a bill which, if it passes, would make very dramatic changes to the fundamentals of both Apple's and Google stores, like fundamentally fundamental changes. I am uh, told by people who follow this closer uh, than I do that this bill probably has very little chance of becoming a law even though it is bipartisan uh but but yeah it would it would uh, be, be ground shaking for google and apple both yeah so the other thing that happened then which i initially thought was ground shaking when i read the initial headlines i thought the ground had shaken apple and the de- and developers who were suing them as a class action lawsuit reached a settlement which is now awaiting approval by the judge and one of the things addressed is my big bugbear which is the anti-steering clause and i actually thought apple had seen the light and that the likes of netflix could add a sentence to their app that says go to our website to sign up no that is not actually what happened apple have said if you happen to have their email address you can email them and tell them about tell them not in the app that you can buy the stuff not in the app which means before they were telling developers what they could and could not say in email well actually apple say they were clarifying the situation so from apple's point of view they actually haven't changed anything apple simply clarified that you could email them and the developers were like but we thought you said we couldn't well we may have heavily implied that so it's <laughs> I think the best description I've heard was a nothing burger. And I I was so, I, my single biggest bugbear is the anti-steering thing because you download the Netflix app, you open it up as a user and you are presented with an impossible to comply with screen, username and password. And they are, they are prevented from helping you. Yeah. And to me, it's like you and are that- being hostile to your users and that sucks. Uh, and, and and that that has been my problem with this uh, for a long time, and and I have uh, good good friends of of both of our shows <laughs> who disagree with me on it. But yeah, I think that is fundamentally anti-user to to not at least provide. I I I think a link would be acceptable. Link me out to the web where I can sign up. Uh, I'll even sure, send some I, text I, saying. We have a web I know page. that Apple is is never going to allow that unless they have to. So at least just a message to the user that tells them like, hey, if you're wondering why you're seeing this, it's because you need to have an account, which you can either which you can get by going to our website. Yeah, they can't even say that. That's ridiculous. Yeah, and I understand, and I kind of not only do I understand, I actually 
think I agree with Apple, that if you purchase something within an app, that it should actually be safe. Like that it, and that is something that is amazing about the App Store is that you can do an in-app purchase and feel comfortable because you know that you can reverse out of it. You know the subscriptions are easy to manage. They can't just nab your stuff. Like there is Does a, that apply to Firefox? You see, yeah, you see there we're into the first of the gray areas, which is the browsers, which in the, the, the argument would be, well, that's not an in-app purchase. That's you surfing the web. And it's like, oh, I understand app. that. <laughs> But Firefox is an app and you're it in is. it, making a purchase. And there's an even bigger exception to all of this. From the very first day that the App Store was released, it has always been the case that not only are you allowed to use credit cards for buying physical things through apps, you must. And at no point in time has it been possible ever to use in-app purchases to buy a sweeping brush on Amazon. When you buy physical things in an app, it is always through the app's payment processing of their own. Always. Right. Because always it's has been. not about safety. It's about digital. Exactly. I mean, it's about safety for digital, I suppose, but it's not about safety, period. Yeah. So it is already an interesting gray area, but I know for a fact that I, uh, I sign up to subscriptions more freely in iOS than I ever would if it weren't for the fact that Apple are providing a very human-friendly way of managing those subscriptions. And I think you still would. I, I think it would be fair for Apple to say, uh, we want you to provide the option to the way they do with logins. Mm. Provide, if you're going to be in our App Store, you have to have the provide the option to use our payment. And I and if you're doing that, you let that option be more expensive. I might still choose that sometimes because I want the security of it. And I mean, the other way around that I've heard suggested by people is, well, then provide an API. If you provide your own payment processing, you must use this API, which will register the subscription in the control panel. And you must provide a one click uninstall and you must give us that URL so that we can put it in the control panel. Problem solved. Yeah. I don't know. I I do feel somewhat like it's it's like a mall coming in and saying uh, you have to use our credit card terminals and and our our payment processing. Uh, that is a good analogy. It's, n- it's not an exact analogy, but that that's kind of the way I think about it. It's good though. No, it's it's. I hadn't heard that one before, and that actually that resonates quite well with me. Um. So initially, I thought this was huge. Uh, but unfortunately, I find myself doing something I almost never do, agreeing with the Coalition for App Fairness, or the AstroTurf Group for Epic, hmm. uh, who call it a sham. And Spotify basically said that it was a distraction. And yeah, like a stopped clock. It, You're right. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great win for the Apple lawyers that they were able to get this settled without having, having to, you know, but finish the class The judge hasn't approved action. it yet, so... Uh, Eggs. Oh, yeah, you're right. We'll see. But if it if it does get approved. Yeah. So what actually turns out to be a, a more substantial story, though not earth shattering, but still substantial, is that in South Korea, they did pass a law. They didn't just propose one. They voted on it. And it's now sitting on the desk of President Moon to sign. And since it's his party who voted it through parliament, it's expected that he shall do so. So South Korea have mandated that in-app purchases must be allowed by alternative providers. So not that you must allow side loading, 
you know, it's just IAP has to be allowed through other choices. So it is a change, but it is not quite the open the floodgates like certain people would have liked. And it is only and South Korea. It's not something that requires Apple to do anything except stop rejecting. disapproving certain apps. Yeah, stop rejecting apps. Yeah, uh, They don't have to support it. But they just have to stop rejecting an app if it includes an alternative payment system. Uh, I, I find this sensible as a law goes. You can disagree with it, but this law says uh, it's got the founding of, hey, in our country, you're not allowed to restrict the payment behavior. Uh, that, that's it. What's fascinating, uh, John Gruber pointed it out to me because he does a lot of work um, with um, which of the, was it Tim Barron, um, who's based in Asia, basically. And Mm -hmm. in South Korea, this isn't the anti-Apple bill, which is how it's being reported in the Western media. It's it's the anti-Google bill. It's the Google Power Abuse Prevention Law is how they're referring to it. Which is a wonderful name, but it's very, very, very different to how we're talking about it over here. So I, I thought yeah, that was yeah. definitely interesting to learn. And this is obviously about the app stores in general, and this is not an anti-Apple bill as such, but it does definitely affect Apple strongly. Of course. So the question is, well, it's happened. Um, we assume the sky shall not fall. We assume that six months from now, everything will still be fine and the earth will still be spinning on its axis. And then the question becomes, so who was watching? What other countries yeah, will follow? I, that, that, that's really it. We will see how Google and Apple respond, mm-hmm. or if they respond. Uh, and then we will see if this provides fodder for other parliaments to say, well, look, they did it in South Korea. This is a great template. Because South Korea, while a very vibrant economy, is is still a smaller country. So it's not as much money, as much of a percentage uh, of the market as if if this were to happen in China or the United States or Europe. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it'd be very interesting because, of course, it could go different ways, right? It could turn out to be a complete catastrophe in that there's rampant fraud. You know, fraud on on app stores goes up 500% and then all the parliaments around the world go, "Mm, maybe not. It could turn into a giant big nothing burger where it's like, well, everyone's allowed to. And how many people actually chose to? Oh, 2% of apps. Hmm. Yeah. So. And Apple would still be able to kick someone out for implementing a fraudulent payment system. Right. Yes. Because you're not allowed to lie to people, right? The, yeah. the, the app store rules are pretty big on that. It just says you can't kick it out for not being yours. You can kick it out for being like, I, I think your payment system is not sufficient. That and that—that's kind of what I expect might be the new criteria in South Korea, and then there'll be a lot of sturm and drang about well, are they just using that to try to kick out a bunch of them, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and there is also a non-retaliation clause in the law, which is interesting. You're not talking about mm, retaliation, oh, right. yeah, yeah. which is which is good, I guess. So our third and final main story then is that. Apple employee discontent definitely seems to be rising. Um, the first the first it sort of reached my notice was when there was a lot of crankiness that Apple had mandated everyone shall to go back to campus and the employees were like, can we talk about this? And Apple were like, nope, no, we can't. User coming back or user fired. And that made people cranky. But then this month it really took off. So 
we started off with an engineer being fired, sorry, being put on leave, just fired, not really fired, uh, for tweeting about sexism at work. That doesn't seem like the world's best response to sexism at work, but okay. Then we had the employees trying to figure out if there was a wage gap, and so they tried to have an informal survey, which Apple tried to shut down 20 different ways from Sunday. Uh, they got some data, and that highly selective, non-representative data says there's a 6% wage gap between men and women. But is that because only the women chose to upload their data? It's kind of hard to tell. Apple shut down a Slack channel where employees were trying to discuss pay equity, but they did have a big announcement saying, no, no, we pay everyone fairly. We're just not going to tell you the details. Uh, and then we have a whole new movement has come up called hashtag Apple 2, as in T-O-O. Uh, and that, they now have 500 stories of abuse in the workplace that they have collated. So there really does seem to be a movement building of cranky Apple employees who are sharing their crankitude with the world. And they say that they tried to raise this internally with Apple and got nowhere and out of desperation are going public. I have several thoughts on why we're seeing this. Please. Um, one, we're seeing this at a lot of companies, not just Apple. Uh, it may be surprising for some to be like, oh, I didn't think Apple would be a victim of this. But there is a disconnect that is probably generational, certainly is managerial level, where people in – uh, managerial positions think that things are fine and people in lower positions don't think they're fine. Uh, and and there's a, they're like, no, 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 you're complaining about nothing. And in this day and age, when you tell someone they're complaining about nothing, uh, they get 10 people who agree with them that they're not complaining about nothing and you have a hashtag and a movement. Uh, and, and I'm not trying to say that they don't have a real uh, group uh, or the, uh, but these things surface much more. Uh, There's much more of a disconnect of like, well, I didn't think that was a big deal. Uh, and, and people saying, well, it is a big deal. And now we're going to go public. So that, that happens a lot more often. Uh, so I, I'm not shocked that it finally happened with Apple. Uh, there's also the idea, this is just my theory now, that when you're all working from home, you don't have the same social pressure to comply as you do yeah. when you're all in the office. And there's that peer pressure and that team esprit de corps of like, well, I might complain, but we're all in this together, right? When everybody's right. disparate, you start to think, well, but is that right? And you don't have anyone around you pressuring you not to think that. Uh, so I think that changes uh, the dynamic. Um, and then I, I, I think that... Uh, we're just in a, a, a situation where there's a lot more turnover, there's a lot more dissatisfaction, there's a lot more stress, uh, and there's a lot less patience with things than there used to be. Uh, and, and so Apple being very secretive uh, is, is a little bit like a pressure cooker in that kind of situation. Yeah, and I, I think the surest way to make people like extra cranky, if they're already cranky, is to say, no, 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 you're not giving me a real problem. You don't have a right to be yeah. cranky. It's like, oh, well, no, I'm proper cranky. What, that's a problem too? Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a, yeah, that's a great way to just get someone extra cranky for sure. 
Um, I, I guess it's, it's so, not it's not a good. Oh, look you for know it. what? The the other thing I was going to say is, I think also. If you get enough journalists asking you, <laughs> are you unhappy, uh, you're eventually going to find more people that are unhappy. That is also true, right? Because how many kabillion people work for Apple and how, you know, and you have 500 people who've chosen to share their complaints through this forum. So maybe that's only a small amount of people are sharing their complaints because actually this is a vocal minority or maybe this is a representative sample. It, it's very yeah, hard exactly. to tell the difference. Very hard to tell the difference. It's, um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's very it's very strange. One, I I got the impression when the COVID thing that Apple were being tone deaf, and I still get the impression that HR are being tone deaf and not not hearing people who are now getting ever crankier. Is is my gut feeling on it? But I, I very hard to tell from outside. Yeah, the one thing I do know is uh, from the few people I've I've known who've worked at Apple is Apple is a is very much a you should be happy to work here kind of place. It's not a <laughs> let's keep everybody happy kind of place. That that is certain true. But something I didn't notice is people saying I've worked at Apple for twenty years and I used to think HR listened to me and now I think they don't. Yeah, yeah. And that's you know when people detect change that that's that's not a good thing. Yeah, it's as I say, it is it is very much a thing that is happening. It is very much in the news, and I think it's very much worth talking about. But I find myself finding it really hard to know what to think of it. Well, and that's why we haven't actually covered it on Daily Tech News Show because I don't know what to cover. Yeah, this is why you this know. is for for the last two months. I put off putting this as a story because yeah, I didn't know yeah. what to say. But now, now I'm like going, but there's there's a movement. There's 500 stories. The, the pay gap thing. Apple's refusal to be open about their pay structure that rubs me up the wrong way because it makes it me does. Think but also, something it's wrong. perfectly in character. Apple is never <laughs> open about anything. So yeah why would I expect them to suddenly be open about their pay structure? They should be i a hundred percent agree, but yeah yeah it's it's interesting um unless you have anything more to add i think we we can draw a line well, i say draw a line we can cease talking about it for this month and we'll see what has developed yeah, we can draw next a dotted month. line <laughs> <laughs> a dotted line yeah. uh before we wrap up the show, just a few quick stories that uh, broke during the month of august uh apple have have launched a service program for iphone twelve and twelve pros with a no sound issue. Apparently, this is a thing that happens on phone calls, which i I believe my phone can do I'm vaguely familiar with the concept uh Apple have also released iCloud for Windows. Uh, sorry, they've, they've updated iCloud for Windows to include a basic password manager UI to allow you to make use of your iCloud keychain to make better use, shall we say, of iCloud keychain on Windows because they released a Chrome plugin last a month ago and now we have this new app to manage said keychain. So that, to me, is a very interesting development because it means that people who are... More, it's more normal to have a Windows machine too, right? I don't, but most people do. Yeah, I got one. So, you know, th- this is kind of nice that that wonderful, helpful, I'll make you a secure password and save it for you can now flow with you to your Windows. So, you know, I, I like that Apple are doing Bring it to Linux next. Come on, do it. Well, 1Password are there already, so, uh, you know. Well, yeah. It's a reason to go to 1Password, I guess. Um, meanwhile, all of those of you who wanted a magic keyboard with Touch ID... If you also own an M1 Mac, you can now have your Magic Keyboard with Touch ID. Well, I guess I can have one too, but the Touch ID will be purely ornamental. 
<laughs> because I do not have an M1 Mac. Basically, if you have an M1 Mac which has the secure enclave and all that stuff, you can buy a standalone keyboard with Touch ID and have that joy on your shiny new iMac or whatever, which is definitely something people wanted. And I'm now in a situation where one of my three Macs has Touch ID and I very much want to be in a situation where three out of three Macs have Touch ID soon. But, you know, going to take a few more replacement cycles before we get there. Right. Uh, Apple have also added a shockingly expensive new graphics option to their very pro-priced Mac Pro. So if you are the kind of person whose Mac Pro is used to bring in revenue, then you may find this very interesting. But for most of us, it's like, oh, okay. Well, that Pro's got a bit pro-ear. <laughs> yeah. If the accountants just look at the price and the and compare it to the budget line and don't look at what you're paying for the graphics option, then yeah, maybe yeah. that'll work. Certainly not coming out of my bank account anytime soon. Mm. And then finally, Apple have redesigned their online store to give a dedicated tab for the store at long last. And it, I think it actually is a nice little makeover because, ironically, Apple's websites have always been a bit weird and all, not all that human-friendly. But for a design-oriented company that's supposed to sweat the details has confused me immensely. But anyway, it's, it's nicer and newer, shinier. A little bit. Yeah, I'm glad it's back. Even though I got used to like, oh, I guess I can always buy whatever I'm looking at. So I, you have to think of the entire site as the store then, which is weird. So, yeah. That's yeah, good. I, I always got very confused because I used to go and look for the button called store. Yeah, right. Because that's what I wanted. I wanted to buy something. I didn't want to go look for an OS update or for some help. I, I wanted yeah, to buy I'm something. Not, I don't need a spec list. I want to buy it. Yeah, I know what I want because I've been salivating over it for the past six months. Just give me the button. <laughs> I'll give you my money. I just spent 90 minutes listening to Tim Cook explain it to me. It just let me That is indeed a fair point. Well, unless there's something I've forgotten that you want to bring up, I do believe we have rounded out another month's worth of Mac news. Ah, fantastic. Happy to help you. This is a quite a packed August. It really is. Uh, silly season, not so much. Very busy season yeah, yeah. instead. Look, thank you very much for being so generous with your time. It is really appreciated. And for the one listener who doesn't know who you are, could you plug a subset of your many, 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 many things online? <laughs> sure. Uh, for Pat out there who doesn't know or whatever your name is, uh, dailytechnewsshow.com. If you're into technology, I assume you are because you're here listening to this. Uh, Daily Tech News Show is a show that uh, attempts to keep you up to date on all the areas of technology in a half hour a day uh, to help you understand the tech world uh, without having to wade through all of the stories yourself. Uh, and a, an adjunct to that is Know a Little More, which is single topic deep dives uh, into topics like 5G or uh, coming up soon, the trusted platform module. Uh, try to help you understand that. That's at knowalittlemore.com. Oh, I look forward to the TPM. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, I just did that. I just recorded that one Monday. Oh, excellent. That's a nice little sneak peek there. I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy those No Little Mores because I, like, there is such value in having it all laid out in a structured narrative because then it actually sticks in my brain. <laughs> Tell me a story and I'll remember it. And I love the fact that yeah. you do manage to weave it into a story and that it works for me. I And I bookmark them. I have a thing in pocket called for reference. And that's where I put all of the things that whenever someone says to me, Bart, I don't understand yada yada. I go into my for reference folder and I go find a relevant link. And you are in there a lot. 
Ah, oh, good. I'm I'm very glad to hear that. It, it it actually started with me selfishly wanting to understand these things myself, and I was like, well, if I break it all down into a story, like you're saying, that I can record for somebody, then they'll stick with me too. I, ironically, when I want to learn something, I try to convince Alison to let me teach her, and then ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you if you really want to know something, teach it. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I always, even with the ones where I'm like, oh, I know this one, I always end up learning something when I'm trying to figure out how to explain it. You're absolutely right. Uh, and I think you've probably already given it the URL, but one more time, it is over at... knowalittlemore.com. Excellent. Again, thank you very much. Um, I have been your host, Bart Bouchot. You can find my personal site at bartb.ie. But before you go off to there, you will find detailed show notes of all of the stories that have informed my thinking on this month's very copious news over at lets-talk.ie. While you're there, there's a large blue button in the sidebar called support the show. It provides mechanisms for supporting the show. Um, I want to thank everyone who uses those buttons. Um, be that the Patreon button, you pledge a small dollar amount per show. There are exactly two shows a month, one Apple and one photography. So if you think I'm worth $2 a month, pledge one, it becomes two. You get the idea. Then there is a PayPal button for people who prefer to just do a one-off donation. What's great about Patreon is that it's an efficient way to give a small dollar amount without PayPal taking all the money and fees and me getting nothing and you still paying lots of money. Whereas the PayPal button is great for that one-off. Bart, I think you need a new microphone. Here's a few bob towards that. And I really love it when people push that button. And then, of course, just tell people about the show. It is amazing how much value that adds. It's just tell people. Tweet about it, Facebook about it, WhatsApp about it. Tell actual people in Meetspace if you ever meet any of those anymore in this day and age. But it is amazingly helpful to simply spread the word. So... You know, if you can't contribute financially, that is, A, not expected of you. And, and you know, just tell people. And it, it's so helpful. Anyway, I'm going to stop rambling on. Let's slash talk.ie. I am at partb.ie. And until next month, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Five, four, three, two, one. And we are go. Go? Wait. Go where? The commercial, Guy. We're recording a commercial for the MyMac.com podcast. Ah, so we're recording the podcast now. Well, no, not now. At the moment, we're recording this commercial. So when do we go? Go where? I don't know. You started this whole go thing. The G-Men on the MyMac.com podcast. We have no idea what we'll say next.